Today's scripture reading is taken from Psalm 44. So if you have your Bibles, do open them to Psalm 44 and follow along as I read. Psalm 44. To the choir master, a masculine of the sons of Korah. O God, we have heard with our ears, our fathers have told us what deeds you performed in their days, in the days of old. You, with your own hand, drove out the nations, but them you planted. You afflicted the peoples, but them you set free. For not by their own sword did they win the land, nor did their own arm save them, but your right hand and your arm and the light of your face, for you delighted in them. You are my king, O God, ordain salvation for Jacob. Through you we push down our foes. Through your name we tread down those who rise up against us. For not in my bow do I trust, nor can my sword save me. But you have saved us from our foes and have put to shame those who hate us. In God we have boasted continually and we will give thanks to your name forever. But you have rejected us and disgraced us and have not gone out with our armies. You have made us turn back from the foe and those who hate us have gotten spoiled. You have made us like sheep for slaughter and have scattered us among the nations. You have sold your people for a trifle, demanding no high price for them. You have made us the taunt of our neighbours, the derision of and scorn of those around us. You have made us a byword among the nations, a laughing stock among the peoples. All day long my disgrace is before me, and shame has covered my face. At the sound of the taunter and reviler, at the sight of the enemy and the avenger, all this has come upon us, though we have not forgotten you, and we have not been false to your covenant. Our heart has not turned back, nor have our steps departed from your way. Yet you have broken us in the place of jackals, and covered us with the shadow of death. If we had forgotten the name of our God, or spread out our hands to a foreign God, would not God discover this? For he knows the secrets of the heart. Yet for your sake, we are killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Awake! Why are you sleeping, O Lord? Rouse yourself. Do not reject us forever. Why do you hide your face? Why do you forget our affliction and oppression? For our soul is bowed down to the dust. Our belly clings to the ground. Rise up. Come to our help. Redeem us for the sake of your steadfast love. Friends, one of the joys of a pastor is being able to raise up other faithful men for ministry, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, as we heard from Ephesians 4 not too long ago. It says in 2 Timothy 2 verse 2, Paul tells Timothy to do this in his ministry, what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses and trust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. So with that said, it is with joy that I want to introduce Yanadi. Uh, Yanadi's going to come up to stand next to me. Uh, many of you would already know Yanadi. Yanadi is a member of our staff. He helps with uh, Christian education and many, many other things. He's been a great uh, encouragement to us on staff and I'm sure an encouragement to many of us here as well. If you don't know Yanadi, he's married to Felicia and they have a young son, uh, Lazarus. I'm sure you've, you've heard all the jokes about raising Lazarus. Uh, Yanadi's going to preach to us today. It's his first time preaching. So I'd love to pray for him 
and, and friends, if you, if you know him, just drop him a note and encourage him as well as he serves us. Uh, indeed, it is a joy for, for a pastor to be able to raise up other men for ministry, to raise up other men to faithfully preach the word of God as well. So I'm glad to have this opportunity to pray for Yanadi. So let's join our hearts in praying for this brother. Let's pray together. Dear Father, we thank you so much for how you are the one who provides servants for your church. Father, we thank you for raising up Yanadi, for bringing him on staff, for bringing him into our midst. Father, we pray that as he preaches your word, we pray that you would fill him with your spirit. We pray that your spirit would give him strength and power to speak your word with great boldness and clarity. And Father, we pray for your spirit to accompany the preaching of your word with power, that as your word goes forth, we pray that it would find ready hearts. It will find hearts that are open and soft to your truth. Father, we pray that your spirit would open our eyes, would give us hearts that are soft to your word, help us to receive from you. We pray for this servant who will be preaching your word. We pray that you would also encourage him, strengthen him, help him to declare your truth with great faithfulness and joy. We pray for him, we pray for ourselves, and we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Come, brother, and bless us with the word of God. Thanks. Hi, church, and hi, uh, the few of us who are serving here, and hi to those who are visiting GBC. I'm Yanadi, and I'm serving as a ministry worker here in Grace Baptist Church. It is both an honor and pleasure to stand before you to, to preach the Word of God. I'm sure many of us have at least started to feel the sting of this COVID-19 pandemic. Some of us have lost our income. Some of us have even lost our jobs. And perhaps some of us have also lost our loved ones as well. We may have done our own soul-searching. You know, we may be thinking, perhaps... I have committed a sin, perhaps a sin that I may not realize. But no, after further soul searching, I have been a faithful Christian in, in recent years. Even now, I'm sure of it. I know that God is a faithful God, but why did God allow bad things to happen to me when I have been faithful? Why does God allow bad things to happen to faithful people? Why does God's love seem to be away from us when we are faithful? Beloved, from the passage that we just read, God's people are feeling the sting of defeat and shame by their enemies. In their soul-searching, they are sure that they have been faithful to the, their covenant God. They know and have experienced the faithful God. So why is God silent in what seems to be an unjust situation? How do we respond when faith and reality do not line up? Let us come to the Lord. Dear our Heavenly Father, we give thanks for your word. And as we now learn from your word, Father, 
May you help this servant of yours diminish from this space, from this time, and may your word take over. Help us, Father, to understand your word and to see Jesus Christ in your word. Help us for those among us who are feeling weak, feeling defeated, feeling disappointed. May you be pleased to grant them strength and perseverance. And for those of us who have yet to know or come to Jesus, Father, may you be so merciful to save us, to save them, and to grant a new heart that trusts in Jesus. And we thank you for we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. To the choir master, a masculine of the sons of Korah. We are still in the series on the king and his people from the Psalms that were written by the sons of Korah. Unlike the earlier Psalms 42 and 43, which were preached by Pastor Oli last week, this Psalm 44 is a community psalm. But like Psalms 42 and 43, this Psalm 44 is also a psalm of lament because the faithful people of the good king suffer. I've divided our passage into three headings to help us follow along. First, the faithful trust in God's deliverance. Secondly, yet the faithful suffer. And thirdly, the faithful continue to cry out to God. The faithful trust in God's deliverance. Let's open our Bibles to Psalm 44. Verse 1, O God, we have heard with our ears. Our fathers have told us what deeds you performed in their days, in the days of old. You, with your own hand, drove out the nations, but them you planted, you afflicted the peoples, but them you set free. For not by their own sword did they win the land, nor did their own arm save them, but your right hand and your arm and the light of your face, for you delighted in them. Our text opens with continuing the thread on remembering from the earlier Psalms 42 and 43. There, we are given a description of what the Israelites know and believe about God. God is sovereign. That is, God is in control. That it is God who drives out and God who plants. It is God who afflicts and God who sets free. Of course, God's sovereignty is at work beyond Israel. Whatever that is happening in the world is within God's sovereign control. But since we are talking about the Israelites, one event that comes to mind is the Exodus. The Exodus from Egypt is a big deal for the Israelites. If you have a faithful Jewish friend, he will tell you that the Exodus is the thing that makes them who they are as a people. And indeed, the Exodus is the story that is told and retold from generation to the next 
and the next. This story is about God's deeds, not theirs. This story is about God planting a people who was just miraculously freed from slavery, wandering around in the wilderness for 40 years with no place to call home, into a great nation of 12 tribes, what used to be a soilless plant now takes root in a land provided by God. Verse 3 tells us of the people's admission that their successes are not by their own strength as symbolized by the sword. Rather, it is by God's strength, but more importantly, by God's face, which signifies His favor to His people, for God delighted in them. They recognize that they can achieve victories if and only if God shows His favor to them. This knowledge and faith lead them to the confidence that the same God who was faithful in the past is faithful now and will continue to be faithful tomorrow. Verse 4, You are my King, O God, ordain salvation for Jacob. Through you, we push down off our foes. Or literally, through you, we will push down our foes. Through your name, we will tread down those who rise up against us. There's, there's a sense of strong confidence among God's people. For not in my bow do I trust, nor can my sword save me, but you have saved us from our foes and have put to shame those who hate us. In verse 4, the people call God their king and identify themselves not as Israel, but as Jacob. This is important. Jacob was renamed as Israel by God. While the name Israel primarily reminds of their identity as the people of God, the name Jacob also carries that, but primarily reminds of the person of Jacob the son of Isaac and the grandson of Abraham, who, while a scoundrel, highly favoured by God. This is a way of reminding God of the connection they have with the one who was favoured by God, though not deserving when it all began. After identifying with Jacob, the people expressed their confidence that they will be victorious over their enemies through God. Then they repeated the same reason for their confidence. Repeating from verse 3, they do not put their confidence in their sword, for they know and believe that it is God who has been giving them victories after victories all along. Some Christians like to say that Christianity is not an intellectual faith. I understand where they are coming from, since some so-called Christians know a lot of the Bible, but live like the devils, either openly or secretly. But this passage tells us otherwise. This passage tells us that Christianity must at least be intellectual 
and at the same time cannot be intellectual alone. Beloved, we cannot believe what we don't know. We must know, but we cannot just know. Do we really believe what we know? By living it out. So what do we need to know and, and believe in? While the Israelites have the story of the Exodus, aren't we blessed to have the complete Bible available to us? Not only do we have the same story of the Exodus of God's people, we also have the fulfillment of it. We are told of the one Israelite who is perfectly faithful and went through suffering that we all go through while being faithful. And in that one man, we have our glimpse of confidence. So know the Bible and believe in it. Remember it. Because only this faith shall give us the confidence that our God will finally deliver us out of suffering through that one man. Some of you who are tuning in, who may not yet be Christians, you may have some doubts. Is God that in control? Uh, you may be an overachiever who always gets what you desire and thought you had no need for God. If you are one, you will always fight to be the best and hope that there will never be a time when someone better than you appears in your life. But friend, isn't that a tiring life? Or maybe you believe in so-called luck. If you are one, you will always hope that you, will, you may always be lucky. My friends, aren't all those worthless and pointless. Only God can provide a blessed assurance for your soul, for He is in control. So, so come to God, rely on Him, for He has done it to His people, and He will do it if and only if you are His people. He alone is worthy of your confidence and He alone will deliver. He is the God who is faithful yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Verse 8. In God we have boasted continually, and we will give thanks to your name forever. This portion ends with the confidence of God's people to praise God's name forever. Beloved, let us continue to have the confidence that God, who has done great things in the past, will continue to do great things, even now. Let us continue to boast in God and praise His name forever. Selah. Yet, the faithful suffer. In the earlier part, we, we learn about what we know, what we believe, what we have experienced, you know, our theology. But 
reality kicks in now. Verse 9, But you have rejected us and disgraced us and have not gone out with our armies. You have made us turn back from the foe and those who hate us have gotten spoiled. You have made us like sheep for slaughter and have scattered us among the nations. And you have sold your people for a trifle, demanding no high price for them. You have made us the taunt of our neighbours, the derision and scorn of those around us. You have made us a byword among the nations, a laughing stock, or literally shaking of head among the peoples. All day long, my disgrace is before me, and shame has covered my face. At the sound of the taunter and reviler, at the sight of the enemy and the avenger. God's people are confused. There is a break between what they believe about God and what they experience in reality. God is still faithful, but their enemies seem to be winning. God does not deliver them. Doesn't God care? From verse 9 all the way to verse 14, God's people continue to express that God is in control. They attribute the cause of their defeat and shame to God. Pay attention to the pronouns used. You, you, you have done this to us. You have done this to us. God, let us go through what God did to his people. Verse 9, he rejected and disgraced them. He did not go with their armies. Let us stop and reflect. The Israelites are concerned when God, whom they believe to be their deliverer, now does not go with their armies. Are we even concerned if God does not go with us? If you are like me, uh, you may think, oh, God is silent. Ah. Okay, Lord then I will do it myself. Huh? But that is exactly not the attitude of the people who believe and have confidence in God. It troubles them when God does not go with them. And it should, because they believe that it is not their sword that will deliver them, but God alone. Do we start believing in our own sword when God is silent? Certainly, doing things ourselves and in our own ways is not the proper response when God seems to be silent. Let us go back to what God did to his people. Verse 10, he made them defeated by their enemies. Verse 11, he made them like sheep for slaughter. He scattered them among the nations. Verse 12, he sold them for sheep. Verse 13 and to 14, he made them a byword or a talking point and a shaking of head among the peoples, among the nations surrounding them. When all these sufferings come to God's people, God is in control. However, these things usually happen when God's people are unfaithful to God and live wicked lives, often by worshipping foreign gods. But this time, it's different. Verse 17. All this has come upon us, though we have not forgotten you 
and we have not been false to your covenant. Our heart has not turned back, nor have our steps departed from your way. Yet you have broken us in the place of jackals and covered us with the shadow of death. If we had forgotten the name of our God or spread out our hands to a foreign God, would not God discover this? For he knows the secrets of the heart. Yet for your sake, we are killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. The defeat and shame that happened to the Israelites occurred when, verse 17, they have not forgotten God. They have not been false to God's covenant. Verse 18, their heart has not turned back. Their steps have not departed from God's way. Verse 20 to 21, they have not spread out their hands to a foreign God. This portion of the passage that we just went through tells us that it is possible for God's people to continue to be faithful and yet suffer. Why is God's love sometimes so far away when we have been faithful? This picture reminds me of Job. Job is a faithful man of God. But why did God allow Job to be completely stripped by Satan? Why did God allow Job to be humiliated by his three friends? Well, we often don't get to understand why bad things happen to faithful people of God. One thing is clear here. We should not become like Job's three friends. When we have friends who feel that God is silent, although they have been faithful to God. One way that we can become Job's three friends is instead of lifting our friends up with the hopes that we have in Jesus, we crush them down with accusations of every possible way, how their sufferings have rightly and deservedly come upon them. So don't become Job's three friends. The reason why we get so uncomfortable with the story of Job or this Psalm 44 may be because we are familiar with the passage on blessings for obedience and curses for disobedience from Deuteronomy 28. Or more dangerously, we may be tricked into believing the unbiblical justice that is based on karma. Blessings for obedience and curses for disobedience are true, but our sinful nature often twists them in a very transactional manner. That is, if I obey now, God must bless soon. And if I disobey now, God must curse soon. However, the Bible is very real. When recording the experiences of God's people, the same Bible that records blessings for obedience and curses for disobedience also records that there is a righteous man who perishes in his righteousness and there is a wicked man who prolongs his life in his evil doing. So how? How? 
Let us not see this as God's injustice. Rather, let us see this as God's patience and mercy toward us. Because if God were transactional, or if karma were true, our much disobedience against God would have placed us in hell years ago. Beloved, God's justice will surely come. But it may not be according to our timetable. Let me tell us about a seminary professor of mine. She comes from a very Chinese, non-Christian family, but by the grace of God, she went to a Christian school. And there, through faithful Christians whom, whom God has providentially placed, she came to Jesus. I'm not really sure if it's when she shared to, to her parents that she became Christian or baptized, but she got kicked out of the house on her birthday because of that. Thankfully, God redeemed her story. Both her parents have become Christians and are now with the Lord. I'm telling us her story because I'm sure it resonates with some of us. I know some of us face opposition from our own families for doing faithful things, to follow Jesus, to be baptized, and to faithfully share the good news of Jesus. So what do we do? It may be shocking to us that the Israelites attribute the cause of their defeat and shame to God. However, it is not about blaming God. Rather, it is an admission that God is sovereign, even and especially in the midst of pain. God is never out of the picture. It's not easy, but God who has delivered in the past is still in the picture and we can have confidence in Him. Also, it is alright to be honest with God about our pains. This psalm encourages us to not be silent, but to bring our struggles to God, because we trust that He is always loving and in control. One way we can lift this out is by sharing the pains that we are experiencing with the church community. For example, in your care group, or with a brother or sister with whom you are meeting regularly for mutual encouragement. We can be honest about how painful our experience makes us feel while letting the community encourage us to help us remember that God is faithful and trustworthy. This way, we are becoming a community where we can be honest about our pain and at the same time, having confidence in the sovereign God. Beloved, let us recognize that being God's people doesn't free us from troubles. Instead, Jesus has told us that following Him comes with a great cost of taking up our cross daily. The cross that we bear may sometimes feel like we are sheep to be slaughtered. 
remember that our God is sovereign. At the same time, sometimes when we know that we have been truly faithful to God, attention arises in our hearts that we have not been perfectly faithful to God. Beloved, God has not only given us the exodus, but in the exodus, He has given us a sweet foretaste of the promised deliverer who was to come. Indeed, the promised deliverer who is perfectly faithful has come. He has led us in a greater exodus. So if we are feeling like sheep for slaughter, what do we do? What do we do when God's love feels nowhere to be found? The faithful continue to cry out to God. Verse 23. Awake! Why are you sleeping, O Lord? Rouse yourself. Do not reject us forever. Why do you hide your face? Why do you forget our affliction and oppression? For our soul is bowed down to the dust. Our belly clings to the ground. Rise up. Come to our help. Redeem us for the sake of your steadfast love, for the sake of your chesed love. Back to confidence. God's people having confidence. Instead of leaving God, they have confidence in God's covenantal love. The faithful ones, when faced with suffering, continue to plead with God. Our text ends with a plea by God's people for God to wake up and show His face, or in other words, to give favour to His people. For they know and trust that they have no hope of deliverance without God's favour to them. For it is not by their sword that they had their deliverance, but by God alone. This is an honest plea that comes from a people who wholeheartedly have confidence in God, in His chesed love, in His steadfast love, and, had, and have gone through deep defeat and shame. Beloved, you may be asking, but how does this help me when I've been faithful and yet I face suffering? Beloved, the plea of God's people has finally been answered in the coming of the suffering deliverer, the perfect one. Let's now turn our Bibles to Isaiah 53, verse 6 to 7. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Isaiah has prophesied about Jesus, that he was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. Jesus was made like a sheep to be slaughtered. When he offered himself on the cross, to receive God's righteous wrath, righteous anger on our 
behalf. In his weakest moments in the Garden of Gethsemane, even Jesus made a plea to his Father to spare him. And as God's people here in our passage in verse 24 cried out, Why do you hide your face? Jesus cried out, Why have you forsaken me? Not because Jesus is unfaithful, but because Jesus is faithful. It is an honest groaning from pain. And when Jesus persevered, he opened not his mouth to flee from the cross. He didn't do that. Like Pastor Ollie said last week, the way Jesus responded with shame is by despising it. Something that we ought to grow into when faced with shame. In Jesus, God is not a God who is aloof, but the God who can sympathize with us and our pains. Apostle Paul grew up as a Pharisee. As a Pharisee, the Old Testament is his bread and butter. As such, we must pay attention when Paul quotes an Old Testament passage. He does just this in Romans chapter 8, verse 31 to 39, which is the continuation of the well-known passage, all things work together for good. Verse 31, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies, who is to condemn. Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, or, or sword? While the question is rhetorical, Paul holds off his answer. Then in verse 36, Paul quotes from our psalm, verse 22, that says, For your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Only then Paul gives us the answer to the question, shall tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, or sword separate us from the love of Christ? Paul's answer is firm. No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Paul applies this passage to the Christians who are feeling discouraged and weak. His point is this. Nothing can separate us from the love of God in Jesus Christ. Beloved, if we are in Jesus, 
we share in his suffering too. While we may feel defeated and shame, we know that Jesus has experienced all that and has taken up our defeats and shames onto himself. He is a God who sympathizes with us. We are never promised comfortable lives by Jesus, but we are promised his sustaining love while taking up our cross daily and his joyful presence when he comes again. There is no way that God will allow us to be separated from his love in Jesus. So, beloved brothers and sisters in Christ, if we are feeling discouraged and weak by the current circumstances, be encouraged by this message of good news. Hasn't God given up his own son for us? Aren't we God's elect? If yes, then we know all things work together for good, for making us to be conformed to the image of Jesus, his son, God's son. So, persevere. It may not make us happier at this point of difficult time, but if we persevere faithfully, it will definitely make us holier. Cry out to God, for He has given us deliverance in Jesus. But if you are like me, who shifts to self-reliance in the midst of the current circumstances, it is time for us to reflect. Who are we relying on to keep us secure in God's love? Jesus or ourselves? Perhaps these circumstances are given to us as a reminder that we ought to trust and rest in Jesus. For in our failures, God's grace shines through in delivering us. Let us stop trying too hard. Instead, cry out to God, for He has given us rest in Jesus. For those of us who are not adversely impacted by the current circumstances, like the Israelites' community, let us consider helping the weak among us. We are given the church as a community of believers where we can remind one another of God's love in Jesus as we face suffering in this life, but also to help those who face suffering with practical needs. A community where the strong help and the weak get helped. In doing so, we can sing Psalm 44 together as a community that laments together. Some of us have mental health struggles and the need to bear one another's burdens. There will be two sessions of Equip series on mental health in June where we will be equipped in this aspect. I encourage us to attend. This is a concrete way of lamenting together as a community. To my friends who are tuning in to this service and have not put your trust in Jesus, 
Let me assure you that God does not promise us a comfortable life. And comfortable life is certainly not why Christians are in this together. Perhaps you may think then that we are a group of people who love self-torture. But no. Instead, we share your pains. We are not here because somewhat we are smarter than you and trying to tell you how you should live your lives. Instead, we are just beggars who have received God's crumbs of grace in Jesus. And we are sharing where to find them with you. And this good news is also for you, friends. We know that we can find God's love, or rather, be found by God's love by submitting to Jesus. If you submit to Jesus, you will be one with Jesus, which means you will suffer because of Jesus and for Jesus. If you think that this is a strange invitation because I just guaranteed you suffering, it is not. Because that is the promise. And because this is also the promise. If you are one with Jesus, Jesus who has taken your pains on himself, he will be with you to comfort you and give you strength, even and especially in your defeat and shame. So who do you want to trust? Yourself? When you are weak, can you still go to yourself? Great and mighty people, when they are defeated, can you still go to them? Well-crafted structures, when they fail, can you still go to them? Jesus has defeated sin and death, triumphant, is risen from the third day, and he is now seated at the right hand of the Father, magnified and glorious, almighty and sovereign. You are safe in Jesus. So cry out to God, for he has given salvation in Jesus. Come to Jesus, friends. Come, for in him you will finally have rest in God's steadfast love. So, Christians, why do we suffer? Because we follow Jesus, the suffering deliverer. But in Jesus, we shall never be separated from God's love. I pray that that is sufficient for us. In closing, let us come to the Lord. Dear Heavenly Father, we give thanks that you have included this part of psalm in your word. This is not an easy psalm, but that reminds us, Father, that as your people 
we do not expect comfortable life in this life. I pray, Father, for, for those among us who are weak, that you may grant us strength. But not only that, Father, that you would uh, grant us, you may, may you be pleased to make us a community where the strong help and the weak get help so that you may be famous, that your name may be glorified and nations and all peoples may know you as a God and great, a great God who is steadfast and faithful. For we pray all this in Jesus' most precious name. Amen.